Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Jan Andrea Hertzler with me, and she is the owner and founder, the, the lady behind Sleeping Baby Productions. Uh, this is exciting for me because I have actually purchased things from Jan in the past. Uh, when my children were babies, she was the guru of baby wearing slings. She had the best design, and she taught a lot of people how she did them in a safe way. Um, she converted like woven wraps for us into slings. So um, thank you for coming, Jan. This is very exciting. I'm very happy to be here. So Jan is currently in her computer room, but right next door is her sewing room. And if we go into the Facebook, we'll, we'll post some pictures of her, her sewing room as well. Um, I'm sure some people like to see it, but you have posted those onto your Facebook page as well, right? Yep. Yeah, I just did so, some yesterday because it was it was finally cleanup time. <laughs> yeah. So Jan posted yesterday and it was it's, it was really interesting timing because so in the past, um, my middle child is nine and a half. And right around the time that I had him, I got introduced to baby wearing. I actually interviewed a friend of mine, man, a year ago. She was my episode number two, Nicole Eplin, um, out of Southern Illinois. And there was a whole group of us back then that would, you know, strap our children to us in some way or another on the fronts and the backs and we go for long walks. And um, it was a pretty thriving community that grew even a lot more, even since I left. So um, I heard about Jan through some of my friends there. And, you know, people were sometimes kind of doing unsafe baby wearing practices. And I came into it not knowing <laughs> some of the things I was putting my kid on my back in a stretchy sling, which is a huge no-no. I had no idea that's like super dangerous. Um, but you know, when you know better, you do better. So people are like, Oh, let me help you with that. Would you like to borrow this other much more safe <laughs> product? <laughs> um, and actually I ended up becoming a leader in that group, not so much because of my expertise, but because I was good at helping bring the community together as far as like organizing meetings and getting everyone to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. um, that was my role. Um, and so Jan has always kind of been like this figure way off in the East coast. Um, and now you're here in my studio. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, zoom studio. <laughs> uh, so Jan, the way that we usually structure this is I'll just go ahead and ask you to talk about how your journey working from home began. And you've been doing this for a long, a long time, longer than most people. You were um, a seamstress and did you start off as a seamstress working from home or is that something that just kind of developed over time? That just kind of happened. Like, so I had planned to be a teacher. Like that was my life goal from the time I could conceptualize having a job. Um, my dad's a professor, my uncle's a teacher, um, a lot of teachers in the family. And so I just sort of assumed that that was something that I'd be able to do. Um, I majored in biology and sort of general science, and I was going to teach middle school science. I did all the coursework, got to my internship, which is a year long internship through UNH. And um, it turned out that getting up at 5.30 and having to be like on all the time was just not something that I could do and still function. Um, I ended up dropping out of the internship in October. So like a month and a half into it and um, started seeing a therapist <laughs> because, you know, this was my life school and I was yeah. failing at it. And I felt just like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Um, and then, you know, kind of more or less got over the depression, did a lot of temporary jobs because, you know, I had a bachelor's in biology, but there's not a lot that you can necessarily do with that. Or there wasn't in, in 
1998, um, I did some freelance web design back when web design was really simple. Um, and through that, uh, I was able to start working with my husband at UNH. Um, he's, uh, what is his actual title? Um, he's an experimental, no, yes, an experimental engineer. Something like that. <laughs> He's got that a degree fancy. in physics. <laughs> yes. My husband also has a degree in physics. <laughs> yeah. So he, he works for UNH, but for NASA, sort of via UNH. Um, and the project that he was working on at the time was Advanced Composition Explorer, which is a satellite that studies the solar wind and solar weather. It's actually still working. It launched in 1997 and it's still going. Um, and you helped with that one? Well, I did educational outreach. So every NASA project... Um, they set aside some funding for, for education, kind of to show the public what's, what's going on in NASA. And so I built the UNH website for the instrument on that satellite. Um, and I was still sort of interested in teaching. So I put together a paper model of the satellite, like using the engineering drawings, because um, I love paper modeling too, <laughs> um, and ended up uh, doing a project with David's friend's school, where they kind of used the model as a teaching tool, um, presented that at American Geophysical Union. <laughs> so it was, it was like some actual educational outreach. Um, and then we decided it was time to start a family. So in 2000, in May of 2000, our first was born. Um, and at that point, I was actually taking him into work with me. Um, I had made a sling. I, so I got a, a Maya wrap pouch, which is there were like three main baby wearing companies at the time. There was like a yeah. baby holder and Maya wrap. And I think there was like a front pack too. And, and of course the um, Bjorn, but the Infantino really, was the pouch, you know, the one that it was just like a circle and you folded it in half and yep. you kind of like laid your baby in with yeah, like a sash almost. They kind of got a bad rap as things progressed, but they I did think eventually I had, I had one yeah. of those as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I bought the pouch because it was the cheapest one and we were living on very little income at the time. Um, but the video that they sent along with it, a VHS tape, because <laughs> it was 2000, um, they were also demonstrating a sling. And so I'm like squinting at the TV, trying to figure out how they sewed the rings into this thing, because it looked nice to be able to actually adjust it. Um, I figured they must have pleated it somehow. And so I sewed my first sling out of I think it was like a poly cotton blend <laughs> that had gotten at Johan's and, you know, craft ring. Cause that was the, all that was available. Um, and I used that for boy, at least a year, I think with Steven, but people would, you know, see us walking around and it wasn't a baby Bjorn. It was different. And so people were like, Oh, that, that looks interesting to wear. So I'm Very still doing cutting. web design. Very cutting um, edge. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, baby spring slings were not like a big thing back then. Um, so, you know, I'm still doing web design and then people would occasionally stop me and be like, can I buy one of those slings? And I said, okay, I'll start making some. And so I got a very small lot of wholesale fabric and I bought some more macrame rings because <laughs> that was all that was available at the time. Wow, and, yeah. um, you know, and so I'd sell, you know, maybe one or two every couple of months. Um, and then in 2003, our second child was born and also the babywearer.com was born. So that was... Um, really the go-to website for all things baby wearing. Like there had been Yahoo groups and Usenet groups. I'm old enough for Usenet. Probably most of your listeners are not. <laughs> 
that I'd been on like misc.kids.breastfeeding and misc.kids.pregnancy. And a lot of those people migrated into the babywear.com when that started. Um, so that became like the gathering place for anyone who was interested in baby wearing. Um, people would post pictures of their carriers. Um, and then it wasn't really until 2005 when I sort of became the flavor of the month <laughs> that things took off. Like I started doing some Dupioni silk slings and, you know, with a, a tail accent. So a ring sling has a, a long piece of fabric that hangs down the front and you can decorate it with, with other fabric sewn onto it. So I was doing that custom. Everything was always custom sewn. Um, and there was just this flood of orders that started in 2005. And it just pretty much grew from then until like 2014. Um, you were still working a day job sometime during that time or when did you stop? Exactly a day job. Um, the outreach money for UNH ran out in 2001. Um, so I had actually been taking Stephen, our, our oldest, uh, to work with us. Um, but if he was an infant, that was fine. You know, I'd just have him on my lap. I'd have him in the sling. We'd nurse while I worked. Um, once he could sit up, we'd take the, the nursing pillow and sort of prop him up on my desk. Um, once he started crawling, it was a, a little harder. Um, we had like a little pop-up play tent. We'd put a bunch of toys in there for him. He'd, he'd play while I worked. And, you know, I'd, I'd work like a half day at that point. But then once he started to walk that, you know, we couldn't bring him to work in the lab anymore. So I would do, you know, some of the outreach stuff from home. I did a lot of freelance web design um, for local companies. Um, And that was pretty much it until the sling business took off. So I'm sure that this is a side of you that a lot of your customers from over the years might not have known about you. So is UNH University of New Hampshire or am I getting it wrong? Yeah, this University of New Hampshire. Okay. And so, and you currently live? We live right now, like half a mile from campus, which oh, really? is wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so still- at the time we lived in Dover, um, which is maybe 10 minutes away. So it wasn't a huge commute then either. And so then you just started sewing more. Yep. You kind of like naturally progressed into that. Mm-hmm. And how did that feel for you, that that transition? You were sewing and you had babies, like two babies running around. Yeah, that was that was difficult because we'd kind of planned before the kids were born to homeschool and, you know, all three of them were born at home, um, was very sort of crunchy in the parlance at the time. Um, so working from home sort of felt like an extension of that, like I could be home with the kids. Right. I, I think that's like that for a lot of work at home parents. Yeah. Um, not necessarily present all the time, but at least there when they needed you. Um, and I'm kicking myself now for not sending Stephen to preschool. I think he really would have been benefited from it, but it wasn't kind of on the radar at the time. Yeah. We didn't do that for our first either, but our third definitely went. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're in New Hampshire. And the other day you posted this picture and you were talking about how you were like tidying up your uh, office space or your, your sewing room, I guess is probably what you call it. Uh, and you're talking about how it had been kind of messy and, um, how it felt good to put things back in order, you know, after, you know, I had been so busy sewing masks for the last year. Mm-hmm. And all I noticed when I was looking at this photo were these two windows that were just green. And I could just see the, the foliage, how do you say it? Foliage? My husband foliage. always corrects me. Yep. <laughs> That's one of the words that gets me every time. And I'll just, if you don't live oh. in a place with it, you probably don't <laughs> I live in the desert right now. So we don't have much. We have a lot of sand and 
rocks. Um, but yeah, I just, I could just see it was so green. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, you probably were just gazing out the windows half the time, you know, watching the seasons change because you're up north. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about your sewing room and how that space has progressed over the years? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I first started sewing, we lived in essentially a townhouse apartment um, where we'd moved just before Stephen was born. Um, so it had two bedrooms and then a room on the top floor with like gabled ceilings. And luckily we were an end unit. So we had a window on one side. Nice. Um, <laughs> and so it was computers and toys and a hoard of fabric and my sewing machine. Um, and I was outgrowing that, I think, even before we even thought about moving. Um, once our third was born, we were like, we cannot live in this two bedroom house with three children anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started looking for a house. We got super lucky when we found this place. Um, it had actually been a foreclosure in 2007. So it was like right about as the market was tanking and UNH had a hiring freeze. So the place was bank owned and they were just like, we have to sell this place. So it was way yeah. cheaper than it probably could have been. It's half an hour, a uh, half a mile from where my husband works. So he oh could walk or bike to work. Um, the kids can walk to school. I can walk to the post office. It's got this backyard that was tremendous when the kids were little. So anyway, <laughs> the sewing room um, was such a bonus like this part of the house was an addition um built in the 1950s hence the wood paneling um and it had been an apartment for the previous owners to rent out uh so when we moved in there was this weird little sink refrigerator stove combination in the room and a microwave and we ended up taking most of that stuff out but um we had the computers in there and we had my sewing stuff and then at some point we're like i I need more space for all the fabric because I think by then it was 2012 or 13 and sales were really starting to ramp up. So then I took it over as just the sewing room, but the kids were still young enough that we had a playhouse in the backyard and I could sit with my sewing machine angled this way and the windows here and watch them play. And, you know, they could come running up to the window for me if they needed anything. Um, And it has been gorgeous watching seasons change and, you know, sort of, seeing the yard mature, um, various attempts at gardening, which <laughs> none of which have gone well, but yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic space. And I feel really, really fortunate to have it. And you said you were able to like watch the kids playing outside and stuff like yeah. that too. So, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm thinking about my, my mom's place up in Minnesota and you know, how different it is to watch the seasons change. And, mm. um, I was saying in an interview the other day that I used to commute to, to work every day. And I think that's something that I really missed when I started working from home, even when I mm. lived somewhere where they still had the four seasons is that I wasn't leaving enough to actually see. And my, um, my desk was always away from the window. So I never mm-hmm. was like looking out. So, I actually sometimes still just go for a drive just to kind of be like, I need to see the trees, even though they don't change anymore. <laughs> My kid, we've had like some forties and fifties in the mornings here for um, temperatures, but generally even in October, it's like a hundred. <laughs> so it's just I would die. Really different. It's kind of, <laughs> I know, but it's kind of making me yearn for not winter. No, I could, I could do without that. But just the fall season is the one thing that I really, really miss from living up. Fall is definitely my favorite because we have a, a good variety of trees in the yard. Um, there's lilacs and an apple tree that are near the house, but then there's oaks and maples and poplars and birch. And there's one right now where the leaves just kind of 
spiral down as they fall and it's just gorgeous to watch um so i, I don't yeah, even I know if, I, if we had to move i don't even know if i drove to flagstaff if i would see that much variety <laughs> i think i'm gonna have to start planning like an annual trip like be one of those what do they call them tree peepers or leaf peepers, leaf or peepers. Like that. yeah <laughs> i need to be one of those maybe that'll be my dream in retirement yeah so let's talk a little bit about your rise to fame because you really i know that <laughs> Um, in the baby wearing world, you really were uh, a rising star, like you said, but also like famous, I think. So that was so strange to me. Um, like internet famous is kind of one, it was a very small pond, so it wasn't hard to be famous. But then I went to my first conference, baby wearing conference in 2008. And I think that one was in Chicago and people would come up to me and like are you the Jan <laughs> like I'm Jan I don't know about the Jan that was mm-hmm. that was always very strange to me especially because I would have like baby wearing crushes on other big names like Darian from Zolaware and uh you know Susan from Maya Rap and <laughs> meeting them was like oh, I can't believe I'm actually meeting you but then to have people feel that way about me was just like really <laughs> very strange. One thing that I've really appreciated about you uh, from over the years is that you had a skill, but you shared that skill. Like you knew that there were people that were going to just try to figure it out and sew it for themselves. And so you gave them your pattern and you're like, if you want to have a thing, like what I can do, I will make it for you. Or I want you to do it safely. So let me just show you how I could do, how you could do it safely. Do you want to talk a little bit about sure. that? Because yeah, I mean, you, you could have kept it all to yourself, like a secret recipe type of thing. But for the safety of the babies, you chose not to. Yeah. I mean, when I started sewing slings, it wasn't like we were doing okay on my husband's income. So it wasn't our, our sole source of income. And so I really wanted to be able to just make sure that it was safe for everyone. Like I had done some fairly unsafe DIY um, before slingrings.com came online. You could either get horse tack rings or macrame rings, craft rings. Um, And so I made a lot of slings with macrame rings and I, you know, no one had ever said that they, they were, they were strong rings, but they're certainly not ideal. And so I had the weld. So it was like a, it was a straight, it was a, a round ring like a metal ring but there was that weld that closed the gap yep yeah and um you know using fabrics that were sort of less than ideal for slaying stretchy fabrics and you know it was all kind of experimentation at that point um there wasn't a testing standard you just kind of would make what you could find like i would get fabric from um basically job lots not not state job lot but um fabric retailers will buy up lots of fabrics like the ends of bolts and stuff and then they resell them stuff like that so it was really cheap but I didn't want other people to make the same mistakes that I did um Mm -hmm. and having babies being carried and worn was more important to me than making $30 on a sale so yeah that was always like I think I put that up probably 2001 on my website oh really Um, okay that was way before my time because I didn't even have my first born until 2010 Yep. Yeah. It's it's been up there for a while. It really (laughs) needs updating at this point because it's definitely not mobile friendly at all. But um, yeah, so I started with the ring sling and then added directions for making your own pouch and uh, made eyes, which then were called 
ties, but um, or my my ties, my ties. Um, <laughs> terminology has changed a lot since I started. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when they first started, people just called them ABCs for Asian back carrier. Oh right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, um, that like a lot of terminology has changed, and I do agree, yeah. appreciate the way that the baby wearing group has, or the baby wearing groups in general have wanted to be inclusive and progressive and. Mm-hmm. Um, even just like the descriptions on all the photos so that they would be accessible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Keep that's, going. That's been a big change. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think now I have probably at least 15 different kind of styles of carriers and, you know, other people would send me their directions to host. And so I have, you know, a few of those um, a lot who had their own businesses at the time and still said, yeah, I would also like to share my pattern. Um, so I've got those. Um, it's It's been interesting like seeing the landscape change for sure I mean when I started it was mostly work at home parents work at home moms really um Mm -hmm. running businesses and oh and and trying to hang on to their own kid yeah yeah I mean it was basically if you have a baby in a sewing machine you can start a baby carrier business (laughs) and that actually that's another reason that I had my directions up because it's not it's it's not as simple as that (laughs) there are a lot of things that you need to take into account um Mm -hmm. And I actually ended up, because I had the pattern online, people would use it to sell things on Etsy and eBay, um, even from the start. And I ended up writing a piece called, um, please don't copy. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a zillion ways to sew a sling and you don't yeah. have to use this one. And if you right. do, at least let people know that they can sew their own. Now, but- when the sling rings, I, okay, so it would have been probably 2013, 2014 or so when I had you take. I had, I bought a beautiful wrap. Um, I actually had my husband trying to help me dig through some boxes to see if I could find the scraps that you sent back. So I had this huge long wrap. It was probably like a size seven or eight Mm -hmm. that, um, after some time I decided that I was going to, and I can't remember, can you get two slings out of a seven? Yeah. Um, and so I think I had you convert one and then I took the rest of it as a shorty or something like that. Does that sound about right? Um, and then I I could probably find your order. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And then I found um, you were, you're selling the, the solid rings, like were they stainless steel or what were they? Titanium, right? Uh, aluminum. Aluminum rings. And then they were like the solid all the way around. There's no yep. seam. So I ordered several sets of those. I wear them as bracelets and would always keep a, one with me so that I could take a shorty wrap, which would be like not long enough to really do a lot of ties. You could do a very simple carry with it, but you could also like use the sling rings to do like a Mm-hmm. kind of a makeshift sling ring yep I actually have rings, order right here ring slings oh did you find it <laughs> yes. I think I ordered a few times and then another time for a while people were like trying to be the very first people to buy these woven tablecloths from Target yep. <laughs> and I so I think I found a few of the like it was a kind of a faux chevron pattern I think mm-hmm. and you converted a few of those and I was able to give I think one or two of them to some like mom's in need and like said, went to my sister and, you know, shared at different times with different people at different stages of their life. And I feel like I still have a ring sling maybe, but I think I actually gave it to our friends who had twins. Oh, excellent. So I think yeah. I sent it to the dad. He was like a work from home dad. Mm-hmm. It was like a, I don't know, an older daughter. And then they boom had twins. And I'm like, here, let me share this thing that <laughs> has helped me so much. I think I basically wore my middle kid, my son, in the ring sling for like two years. <laughs> no, nope, I will say when I'm working from home, I think. <laughs> yes. And I did. I was working from home the whole time. 
I, I did make the mistake and I know that this was like against all the rules, but I generally favored one side mm-hmm. and I have felt a little lopsided ever since. So I, I did too. You, yeah. If you do the ring slings, you're supposed to like wear on your right side. It's kind of like doing a cartwheel with your wrong hand. Like this doesn't feel natural. Um, but you need to do that to keep your body like in balance and yeah, I, paid the I, mean, price. I, I wore with my rings on the right and my kid on the left pretty much the entire time. I do find that if I'm trying to demonstrate for someone, it's great to have the rings on my left because mm. not only am I, I'm probably mirroring them. It mm-hmm. makes me slow down so much because I'm like, oh. which edge do I pull now? <laughs> I really have to think about it. <laughs> Did you end up finding yourself like integrated with a local baby wearing community or were you mostly sewing? It was mostly sewing. Like um, Christy from, she ran Rhapsody at the time. Christy and I tried to found a baby wearing group in Dover um, several times. Hmm. Uh, I think it was probably 2006 or seven at that point. Um, and there just wasn't a lot of interest because the baby wearing groups have tended to be sort of like, depending on where you are, a lot of it's like, look at my stash, see all mm-hmm. of my wraps. Yeah. <laughs> and this was sort of a more uh, like the, the moms in the area were more like, how can I do this as cheaply as possible? Mm-hmm. More functional. <laughs> Which is always how I style. was too. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's how I rolled too. Though, I mean, I definitely got caught up a few times with, oh, we had a local weaver mm-hmm. who was making these just beautiful like table runners you know, for the local flea market. And finally we approached him and we were like, could you do one of those a little wider? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he did like, he made one and my friend bought it and then I bought it from her. And Mm -hmm. I think I, I don't know if I still have that one. I have, you know, it's been about six years. Well, my, my baby is six. Mm -hmm. And so at some point we did, you know, use more of the the soft carrier stop yep. soft structured carriers that are more like the backpack carriers not the hike, hiking backpack with the big structures and stuff but I liked being able to put my kid on my back yep. with buckles quick and for a while I was doing a lot of tandem wearing with one kid on front one kid on back and that was a little bit more challenging with ring sling because then you'd be like <laughs> mm-hmm. you know caught up <laughs> under there so by the time I had my third kid I, I think I had converted more and, and you've talked about this as being you know, affecting your business as people, you know, as things became more mainstream and baby wearing became more common, it affected mm-hmm. your business in first good ways. And then it slowed down. Do you want to talk about the rise and fall of some of that handcrafted baby wearing sure. stuff? Yeah. I mean, it, I would say it started to change over probably, probably around 2014, honestly, I think that's when the big names started seeing that there was actually money in this. Like we had sort of built up baby wearing as a grassroots with the baby wearing groups and the babywear.com. Um, and that was, I guess, Facebook to some extent, uh, not so much at that point though. And then the big players looked in and said, Hey, we could actually make some money on this too. And there was this explosion and it's a good thing because we want people to be wearing their babies and we want it to be accessible. Um, but it has, definitely had a huge impact on the small businesses. Like, I think I'm probably one of the last of the, the original crop to, to still be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. It's mostly shifted to cheap slings on Amazon and big box retailers. And there's still a few holdouts here and there, right. but it's certainly nothing like it used to be. Well, right around that time, there was another thing that came into play. And I think it took 
a few years, but I remember right around 2014 or so, there was a lot of talk about um, standards and regulations and, you know, needing to have things tested, which I mean, thank God they're doing that for safety reasons, but it it was going to start to affect all of the people who, you know, were buying their, their fabric on, um, you know, whatever (laughs) you'd have to go now and have it all tested. And I don't know if it was like the actual fabric that needed to be tested for like, I don't know, what were they looking for or the slings or the rings or what for like lead or. Yeah. So this was part of the CPSIA, which is consumer product safety improvement act. I want to say that was passed in 2013 or 14. Uh, I'll have to look up and see if my dates are right. But um, yeah, so as part of that, they wanted basically every child and infant product to be tested, which absolutely yes. (laughs) But there wasn't a standard that slings and soft carriers could be tested to. And so um, that was when the actually it was probably a little bit before that the baby carrier industry alliance formed with a lot of us work at home parents um, to start with just looking at how we could make sure that the regulations didn't put everybody out of business because you know you've had major players like infantino basically wanting to have the entire market the first meeting that i went to they were like well the standard has to include um some sort of passenger retention item they wanted to basically put a seat belt in a sling what like because their carriers the the back sling carriers um had a little what would you call it like a a three-point restraint and their argument was if you don't have three-point restraint then you shouldn't be able to pass this and we're all like you cannot (laughs) (laughs) this is (laughs) so you know there was a lot of just trying to figure out how we could make the regulations work for the type of carriers that we were making and not have them be regulated out, you know, things that have been used for sometimes Centuries. thousands of years, yeah. they wanted to immediately mark as unsafe because they weren't mm. the, the, the big box mass market. Style. It wasn't their style. So. Right. Yeah. Um, a ring sling is basically one long piece of fabric with some rings sewn in or folded in more or um, less. And it doesn't need a seatbelt in it. (laughs) If you're using it correctly, it's very secure. Um, But by the way, you know, just to say it, baby wearing is a a learned skill. It's not something that you just know how to do. And I had people lovingly come and correct me several times. I told you earlier about my, uh, my back, my back, my first back wrap with my stretchy, (laughs) stretchy fabric. Um, Um, And like, (laughs) It's definitely something that you learn kind of like breastfeed. And I thought that that would just be the easiest, most natural thing because that's how it should be done. You know, okay, let me, let me just step back and be like, that's not the only way to feed your baby, of course, but that's what I expected to be able to do. And it was way, way, way harder (laughs) and needed way more support and love and, you know, and teaching than I ever expected. And I, I guess the baby wearing was kind of like that too. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a place where that's the cultural norm, where, all that you see is, is people breastfeeding or all that you see is people wearing their babies in the cultural way, then mm-hmm. it is something that you just kind of pick up as you go along. But in Western society, that's not what we've had. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely need to, like a big part of the regulations that eventually did get passed was making sure that you had adequate uh, instructions. And so yeah. the way that they would run the testing, they would take your sling, they would do some mechanical tests on it. And then, um, you know, like fabric strength and making sure that the rings were secure. 
Um, and then they would have the test personnel put the sling on a test dummy following your, your directions. So if your directions okay. were bad, then the subsequent tests were going to fail because they didn't mm. put the sling on correctly. Um, mm. And it's difficult when you're working with a dummy that basically goes up and down <laughs> for the test right. and a weight. Um, so it's not exactly the same, but you know, at least you're getting some idea of how it's going to function under stress. Unfortunately, that is a very expensive process. Um, the cheapest that I've ever been able to have it done is $500 per sling. And so what that means is if I have five different fabrics, which, you know, before this came into effect, I had maybe five to 10 at any given time for different colors and seasons and, and that sort of thing. Um, each fabric combination had to be tested. So I had four different shoulder styles, which is how, how the rings are sewn in. Um, I, I did pleats. I did sort of a gathered, um, modified gather with two pleats on, a, on either side. Um, and each of those had to be tested with each fabric, which meant it could have cost $10,000 if I wanted to test everything. And so once that regulation came into effect, I had to downsize to... I think I ended up with four different fabrics and two shoulder styles. So that was eight mm -hmm. tests, um, which was still a lot, but I was at that point making it up to make it worthwhile. And then of course the sales have fallen. It's now down to like two fabrics and one shoulder style because I just, I can't justify the cost of that anymore. How Not often do insurance. you have to, oh my goodness. How often yeah. do you have to have them retested? Like every time you get a new batch of fabric or each time you change fabrics? Um, it's, so the regulation is written as, how do they put it exactly? Um, it's, it, it boils down to change of fabric. So that was another enormous change. Uh, before the regulations, like April, people would send in their long wraps and I would convert them into slings. And sometimes the wrap was used and it might be a handmade piece of fabric. Um, and then because of the way that the testing is required to be done, I couldn't do anything used at all because I couldn't guarantee that the fabric hadn't changed since it was manufactured. Um, each manufacturer was considered a different fabric. So even if you had two manufacturers that were woven essentially the same, there was no guarantee that they were function the same. And so each of those had a separate test. And so my wrap conversion business had been probably half to two thirds of, of my, my business. And that just, that went away basically overnight. Um, Completely. Yeah. I feel yeah. like you gave us a deadline. You're like, okay, as of like December 15th or whatever the date was that year, you're like, I won't be able to do this anymore after yep. that. And so we're all like frantically sending you. <laughs> stuff. So it gets busy before it's done. And mm -hmm. you've made another announcement recently that you are looking at phasing this business into something different. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's yeah, next? This is your announcement. <laughs> really hard because I've been doing this for 20 years since mm -hmm. my my oldest was a baby and he's 21 now. Um that's a pretty long run. Like that's my entire adult working life essentially aside from the, the temp jobs. But because of insurance costs, which you know it doesn't matter how few I sew, it, that's a fixed cost. Like they will not do it for under whatever amount of money which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because of testing costs, it's getting hard to even break even on the sewing because it's so easy for people and I don't blame them. It's easy and accessible to go onto Amazon and say, oh, here's a sling for $25. I'm going to order that one. And, you know, 
probably they've been tested. One hopes if they're being sold, but there's very little. And be, because of Facebook kind of taking over the the social media scene, it used to be the babyware, and you know people would say, "Well, who do you recommend for a sling?" And they'd say, "Oh, Sleeping Baby Productions." <laughs> and on Facebook, because of the, I mean, it's a, I think almost a generational thing, like the people having children now are, are in their late twenties and early thirties. I'm in my late forties at this point, <laughs> the whole crop of people who kind of grew up with the, the work at home parents making their carriers are, are gone. They've aged out. And some of them are still in baby wearing groups. Um, but most of them are not. And most of the action is kind of on these insular Facebook groups where people are like, oh, yeah, I got this even sling at, at Walmart. You can get one there too. Um, okay, yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, I think it's great that it's accessible the way it is. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely <laughs> an impact on, on so this market. So at this point, you almost feel like you're sewing for free out of the goodness of your heart. It, it kind of ends up that way when I look at the numbers. Um, and honestly, I would love to keep making slings. I, I'm thinking about if it's possible to do just one fabric and do it sort of inexpensively and sell them on Amazon, which is a whole other kettle fish because it's not easy to be a small seller on Amazon. Um, I have not heard a lot of good things about it. And then of course you're in competition with 50 other brands on Amazon, but I, I don't, I don't want to stop, but at the same time, I can't see a way to continue and I'm not really sure what to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> I know. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up too. So I yeah. totally feel you. Uh, but you've been sewing a lot this past year. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Masks. <laughs> um, once the mask recommendation came out, I think a lot of the people who were still sewing carriers at home or you know, even as a small business said, okay, well, we'll do masks too. Um, and that has been I mean, it's unfortunate that it's had to happen, but it has been very good. <laughs> I think I've done mm-hmm. over 7,000 at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of masks. And we'll share the picture from Facebook. I, ha- I have bought so much fabric for them. <laughs> which and it's is a fun. different kind of fabric. So you had to kind of switch your stash of fabric. Right. So for baby wearing fabrics, you want something that's got sort of an open weave that moves very easily so that it sort of molds to you and the baby, which is exactly the opposite what you want for a mask. You want something very high thread count that's not going to let a lot of stuff through. I mean, mm-hmm. breathable, but not not like linen, which is a really open weave. And so, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't really use the sling fabrics for masks and I can't use the mask fabric for slings. Does quilting fabric work for masks? Yeah. Did you already, were you into quilting? Like, did you have any of that to start off with? I'm sort of a a jack of all crafts master of none well master of a couple I guess but yeah, yeah so I have obviously I have like all the crafts I, I have attempted a few quilts um so I, I did have a quilting stash that I kind of used up initially and then I was like I should probably start getting some wholesale stuff because <laughs> it was kind of going gangbusters well at the <laughs> beginning like we just didn't have um like you couldn't go to the store. And so like, it was what you have, like mm-hmm. you, you needed to make a mask with what you have. My mom yep, was like true. cutting up tablecloths, um, you know, sheets, like just to get something. Cause my, um, mm-hmm. 
my mom has 10 kids. I'm the oldest mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of them are essential workers mm-hmm. and they're just work masks to be had. And my, yep. my dad, my brothers needed to wear something to be able to go to work. And she was like going to the dollar tree. I think somehow, I don't know how she did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting like, um, shoelaces, like just to have some sort of tie, because at that point it was just, you know, <laughs> whatever you actually, can use. Yeah, and now remember, obviously it's evolved since then. Yeah. I remember initially trying to get some fabrics from Joanne's, you know, you'd order online and then pick up. Yep. And I think half of the stuff that I ordered would end up being out of stock because yep. everybody was buying quilting fabric to make masks. <laughs> right. Of course. I mean, good for them, but I know felt, felt the same way with just about everything. It was like yep. six weeks to get anything even from Amazon. So, mm-hmm. um, and has that actually been, I don't know what, is lucrative the right word? Is that, it I don't know if you can say lucrative and pandemic in the same sentence. Yeah. I mean, it, it probably doubled or tripled my income last year compared to how it had been the year before. After um, things had tanked with some right. of the sewing. Okay. Um, this year, not so much, thankfully. I mean, there's okay. less, there's still need for masks, but there's a lot less um, need because people now have a stash built up. Right. <laughs> and they can um, wash them and stuff. Now, yeah. do you feel like things have leveled off in a good way for you? Like as far as your, your hours that you're putting in that. I think I'm probably at about 10 hours a week at this point tops. Um, I've actually started doing a lot more chain mail. I'm going to just pivot this so you can see my <laughs> what are, what chain are mail keychains. Oh, <laughs> You'll have to describe that for our listeners. So, uh, boy, how to describe. Um, so I've spent 20 years working with colored anodized rings to make slings with. And so now I'm working with teeny tiny colored anodized rings to make jewelry and keychains and things like that. Um, that's actually something that I've been doing for longer than we've had kids uh, is chainmail things. But um, I, I kind of roll through these obsessions with things. And right now it's chain mail. <laughs> hey, I feel you. Um, when you said chain mail, I had a very different picture in my head of like, you know, those like letters that you would get, like, do you want to be oh. in a exchange <laughs> and if you mail two books to the next person, then, you know, the third person will get 36 books. That's what I oh, yeah, heard no, in my is- brain. <laughs> So we're talking like- one word. And usually it's, if you want to be a little pretentious, it's uh, M-A-L- M-A-I-L-L-E chainmail, but, um, <laughs> and is it different from what like the armored chainmail would be? You use some of the same techniques and actually I got into it because my husband had done like actual chainmail, made himself a, a chainmail shirt. Um, and what? I thought that looks fun. <laughs> he has actually done a few. One of them was with quarter inch rings that he, that he made himself. What is the purpose of this? Is it like Renaissance stuff? We we did um, live action role playing for a while okay. <laughs> before the kids were born. So. Wow, <laughs> so many we're facets nerds. to your life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let's talk about that work life balance and how it has trended over the last twenty years. Because I know in our conversation before we were recording, and in some of the things that you said in the Google form that you filled out for me, is you've had too much work at times and recently not enough. Where do you, where do you feel great? Like what, how many hours would you prefer to be sewing and how many had you done in the past? Yeah. I would love to be doing 20, 25 hours a week of sewing. I think that's a, that's a good spot. Um, Before the peak, 
I'd say like a couple years before the peak, it was there probably a couple of weeks after a couple of years after the peak, it was there at the peak in 2014. So I, I, for a while, I've been putting up points like sewing slots so that only a certain number of orders could come in. And okay. then, you know, I could sort of sew them as they came in. Once we got to the, the real peak of it, I would just, there was a, there was one time when I had too many orders, I closed the store. I opened it up after I'd finished all my sewing. I had probably 300 orders within about two and a half hours. I might I have like, been part I of that. I cannot sew all of these and stay open. I closed the store again. And then you'll have to look this... at my order and see like yeah. what my dates were. Cause I don't know if I was like in on that or not. Sorry. It was a little continue. bit before that, but okay. um, yeah. And so that just, it, that's what it became for a year and a half or two years. I would open the store, get an absurd number of orders, close the store, um, rinse and repeat. Yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I have, a lot of pictures from then in my Facebook memories where it's like, I cannot believe how much work I'm doing. I have this inch and a half pile of paper for orders. Um, it helped us pay off our mortgage really quickly. Oh, wow. Like at that point, I was actually netting probably six figures, mm-hmm. which was bonkers. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it also meant that I was spending almost no time with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was picking up most of the housework and and you know, uh, dinner and things like that. Um, our youngest was in daycare, which wasn't something that I ever thought that I would do. Um, and it had basically taken over my life. And so Mm -hmm. it's funny looking at my Facebook statuses. I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. I have so many orders. All I do is so I wish things would calm down. Maybe when the standard goes into effect, things will calm down. And I, and it's kind of like a, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. (laughs) Like right. I never really was able to hit that balance. It was either way too much or then where am I going to get my income? When you were in the that stage where things were just overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly busy, did you mm-hmm. ever recruit help? Or did you feel like by giving out your, um, your I almost said recipe, but your pattern that some people were able to like make their own? Like at what point <laughs> did you need help? Um, I did actually get help briefly. Um, people really wanted water slings, which is a sling made with sort of an athletic mesh. Um, I hate, hated then and still hate working with the stuff. It's, it feels just unpleasant to touch before it's washed. Um, mm-hmm. It's slippery. It's not fun to sew. So I did, I did actually hire someone to help me cut. And then the next year um, I had her sew the pleats so that all I had to do was sew in the rings. Um, and then I think I took a couple of years off of sewing water slings because I just hated mm-hmm. them so much. But that was the that was really the only help that I've had in terms of sewing. Um, it, I'm very particular about what goes out in my name, so just yeah. I couldn't let go of that control. And I also really wondered about the liability of it. Like if I hadn't sewn it where does the liability go? Does my seamstress become liable? And I didn't want them to have to worry about that. And the testing that you had already, you know, are, are water things even still a possibility? Either they are. Currently? Yeah. Um, and honestly, I mean, I always used small rings and there's some out there with large rings and I don't know how they 
pass, to be honest. Do you think that everybody is even bothering with the regulations at that point? I don't. I I honestly think that there are probably some sellers who are not. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a huge push when the regulations went into effect to be like, it doesn't matter how small you are. If you sell someone a baby carrier, it has to be tested because there are a lot of people who are like, well, I only sell one or two a month. I don't have to test. I'm too small. Um, But that's not how the CPSC sees it. (laughs) Right. And honestly, it affected not just baby wearing creator, you know, the gear creators for baby wearing movement or whatever you want to call it. Um, Mm -hmm. It affected anybody who sold anything marketed for children. That's true. Toys, you know, loveys, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those. And so um, I think people who are still thinking, I'm going to start up an Etsy shop and I'm going to make these little loveys or something like that might not think about that or know about that even. I think, I think a lot of people it's it's that sort of I have a baby in the sewing machine um it's unfortunately it's just not that simple anymore fortunately unfortunately I don't know I mean it's I would if I were starting a business today there is no way I would start making baby carriers it's just the liability and the testing and it's just so much to start up with um I think myself and the other work-at-home parents at the time were really fortunate to be able to sort of bootstrap up and sort of take things as they came in terms of mm-hmm. testing and regulations, but it's it's not like that anymore. <laughs> it was the wild it, west back then. It feels like the end of an era in some mm-hmm. ways, but at the same time, that season that you were in um, opened the doors to the bonding experience that so many families have been able to have in the years mm-hmm. to come. You know, it's it's it was a means to an end of 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 love mm-hmm. and you know holding your child children close to you. But boy, oh boy, <laughs> what a roller coaster of emotions I'm sure you've had it, too. It really has been. And that's why I don't really want to stop because I don't feel like there's anything else that I can do that would be as meaningful as helping people stay close to their infants. Like mm. there's so much research now about how important it is for babies to be held and for their needs to be met because they are needs. It's not a want to be held. It's it's a legitimate need, like their mm-hmm. brain evolved to need to be held that's just that's how it is yeah, <laughs> so, no question about it yeah and so I mean they've done studies that basically have proven that touch is so important yep and being able to facilitate that has honestly been a huge privilege and I I just can't think of anything else I could do that would mean that much like I can keep sewing bags and, and things like that but it's a bag, like it's cute and it's functional, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not necessarily helping anybody the way that a sling did. So I <laughs> yeah, don't want to yeah. stop. I feel like right. I'm, I'm like the 10th the doctor. I, I don't want to go. <laughs> and yet all of these factors are conspiring to say, you know, it's kind of time to go. Here's one thing. <clears throat> my, my friends. Okay. There were several of us in, um, in Southern Illinois, uh, who were part of this baby work community. And like I mentioned at the beginning, we, we'd go for walks and we, I mean, we actually really bonded well and Mm -hmm. had a lot of events together, overlapping things. We had a freezer group that kind of formed out of, you know, some of those friendships and, um, a book club that we, you know, there was a lot of crossover Mm -hmm. among the different, like late league, you'd see a lot of the same people. It was a smaller community too. Um, actually right around the same time that I was heading out, my husband finished his degree and we were moving on. Um, three of my friends are like, I bought a loom. 
I bought a loom. Oh, I also bought a loom. <laughs> well, three of them, they had actually talked about it. Like they all bought a loom around the same time and they learned how to weave mm-hmm. and they started making um, all of the things, not just um, wraps, but I don't know if they, I mean, I'm sure that they'll be listening to this and will tell me later, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure if they were able to send things to you at that point to have anything converted because of the um yeah. regulations at that, that point. didn't stop until 2018 so oh okay entirely so maybe possible. they'll probably tell me yeah. um but they also make these other little things so now that i'm out of the baby brain stage i still have that like i don't know it just brings back good memories for me to see things and so mm-hmm. like i have ordered from them things that they made from the scraps they've made like little magnets you know covered with the materials that they've woven um you know hand towels and things like that kitchen towels mm-hmm. that I use you know regularly every day basically um just to kind of like remember that and I do I have a little bag somewhere when you converted my stuff for me you sent me back a little bag of the little scraps thank you <laughs> <laughs> and I hope someday to maybe have some of those things converted mm-hmm. and if it's not for babies it doesn't have to go through the um regulations right yep so have you ever thought about doing like little trinkets and things like that I have and actually I have a couple of friends who do that and I mean I guess since it doesn't need testing there wouldn't be such a a headache yeah like I would love to have one of my old I have I think a size eight wrap somewhere and I think I would just love to have it chopped into hand towels (laughs) and I mean to me it's obviously it's not like the same thing as I mean I could give it to someone but not everyone understands like the mechanics of wrapping and to do it safely. And it's hard. I've actually offered it a few times to even my sister and be like, I had this lovely wrap. I would love to give to you if you think you could use it. And she's like, eh. you know, she's never <laughs> had the opportunity to be part of a baby brain group. She lives in the middle of um, Montana, like literally like in the middle oh, wow, of yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they don't have a baby brain group where they can just show up and, you know, so I think I would love to have it for hand towels, but I I, I get what you're saying. It's not like that same um, usefulness. And I think you and I might be a little bit similar in that. I really like things that serve a purpose, you know, are multifunctional or, you know, meaningful in that way. Mm -hmm. I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of, you know, just decorations, (laughs) decorative, I'm trying to say things, Mm -hmm. um, if they don't like also serve some purpose. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I was mentioning earlier, that emotional roller coaster? There's, yeah, that's definitely been that. I mean, when the kids were little, it was, it was nice to not have to sew 40 hours a week. And I think that was, that was a good time. Um, just being able to sew a little bit, but also be really be there for them. Um, at the peak of things, I mean, I look back at my Facebook memories and I sounded pretty miserable. <laughs> it was mm. just like slings all the time. And I was definitely like, I was 39 going on 40. And so there was the whole like midlife like- crisis thing happening too. And uh, so, I mean, in that regard, it's been nice for things to slow down some. And like, I don't need financially to keep doing this, but I don't like having nothing to do. Like I have to be doing something productive with my time. Mm -hmm. So it's, 
at this point, it's difficult to like, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at right now. Like I'm, yeah. I'm glad not to be completely overworked 24 seven, mm-hmm. but I'm sad not to have that meaningful avocation. And I'm also really not sure where to go next. Like I, I'm working for um, New Hampshire Space Grant now as the program coordinator, which is a whole other, <laughs> like, I mean, it's something that I had been doing sort of off and on their website for a long time. Um, and it feels like a, a big girl job, but then the imposter syndrome around it is very real because I have, I've just been working for myself for 20 years suddenly to, you know, to be responsible for a lot of other stuff to other people. I don't know if that's something that I want to do until I retire either. Like I liked the freedom of setting my own goals and at the same time, space grant is a, is a great program because it distributes funds for STEM education, particularly to underserved communities. Um, not that there's a lot of diversity in New Hampshire, but you know, we do what we can. Um, so it's a, it's a great and worthwhile program, but it's also not nearly as personal as sewing a sling that, you know, someone's going to use with their baby. It's, it's a lot. And I'm still trying to kind of work out where I'm going. You're furthering the education of underserved communities and underserved populations. Try to. Yeah. I mean, in, in as much as you can in New Hampshire. Is there funding behind that? Like, are you being compensated for your time? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an actual, I mean, it's part-time, but it's, it's an actual job. How many hours a week about, roundabout, are you doing? Probably 10 to 15, depending on the week. And then about how many hours are you sewing currently? Um, the mask sewing has sort of been going in fits and starts. So when I'm sewing masks, it's 40 hours a week. And when I'm not, it's, that's me trying to set my own goals like I have a yeah. craft fair coming up in December and so I should be sewing things for the craft fair okay. <laughs> but I'm yeah. having a really hard time getting motivated for that do you feel like you're going to get slammed with any orders towards the end here now that people realize Jan is not going to be sewing things anymore because you announced that you're going to stop by the end of December or was it yep. December 15th I can't remember um by the end of December I'll probably go as close to the end of the year as I possibly can but then that sort of is conflicting with this space grant job because we have some reporting that's due at the beginning of December and then more in January that has to get done. And so trying to figure out when I want to say on Facebook, Hey, this is the last push knowing that I probably will get at least an initial deluge, like trying to find the right time for that (laughs) and and balance that with the the other paid work is a challenge. You posted yesterday about uh, cleaning up your office. And I thought that what you shared was really lovely. Can you reiterate any of that? So when I started sewing uh, masks in earnest, I put up a folding cutting table. That was in April of 2020. Yesterday was the first time in a year and a half that I had taken it down. And the amount of little pieces of fabric and, you know, tear off envelope pieces for mailing and scraps of elastic and sewing dust that had accumulated under that was just unreal. The whole sewing room looked like a tornado had gone through it. And it had been 18 months of me going, I really need to clean up my sewing room. 
I really need to clean up my sewing room. Do I have time to clean up my sewing room this week? Oh, not really. Will I have time next week? Probably. And then next week it's, uh, I don't really want to right now. (laughs) So, you know, just the whole, (sighs) there was a lot of, I mean, I, I know for probably the majority of people, the COVID depression was real. And I think for me too, and politically, we probably shouldn't get into that, but politically last year was incredibly rough. Thankfully, that's gotten better this year. But it was finding the motivation to go along with the need to create that productivity space. Finally, I just went, all right, I'm not doing anything else right now. I know I'll feel better if I do this. Once I get started, it'll be fine and I'll keep going. And so I did. Mm my brain was finally able to go, yes, all sectors are firing. (laughs) Let's do it. Um, But it took 18 months to get there. Um, And so what I shared was basically, if you're dealing with any kind of mental issues, it can be incredibly difficult to get to that place. If you find yourself there, that's awesome. If you need help to get there, ask for help because people want to help. And if you can't be gentle with yourself, because it's, you know, if you can't make yourself do it, then you can't make yourself do it. And there's nothing to be ashamed of there. It's, you know, you have to do things at your own pace. How long did it take you to actually tear down the table and put things in place? Did you finish your job yesterday? I did. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think I did it over over two days. And there's still some spots that I would like to to fix. Like there's this pile of fabric that I can't bring myself to throw away, but that I'm not using for anything that's next to where my rings are stored. It's in an awkward to reach corner. It's scraps that I know I can use, but I don't know that I will. And I did actually get rid of a lot of scraps that I know that I simply won't use. I, mm-hmm. I'm fighting some real like hoarder tendencies and I have done all my life. Um, if it looks like something I'm going to use, I have a very hard time throwing it out or donating it. I feel you. Um, the <laughs> thing that has helped me the most, and I don't know if you have this in your community, um, and I've actually learned about this from someone that I interviewed. Um, thank you, Nicole Eichinger in episode 17 uh, for mm-hmm. telling me about the Buy Nothing Project. Mm-hmm. So are you familiar with it? I've heard of it. Yeah. So like, if you want to give away something, you can post it into your local group. It has to be specific to where you live mm-hmm. and someone who wants it and can use it or needs it um, will say, I will take that off your hands and they'll come and pick it up. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that is going to be useful to someone um, makes it so much easier for me to let it go rather than just put it in a box and dumping it at Goodwill, not knowing if they're going to stick it straight into the bin. Hmm. That's a very good point. Yeah, I, I need to find a home for all the little mask scrap pieces. I didn't want to add more textiles to landfills because it's an enormous issue. Right. And, and I think that they'll be fine for like stuffing a dog bed or something like that. But I haven't been able to find anyone locally who wants to take it and see as these boxes weigh, I don't I was, know, 25, 30 pounds each. I was <laughs> just, how little are the scraps? They're pretty little, like some of um, the way that my mask pattern tessellated, some of them are slivers that are like mm-hmm. two and a half inches long and maybe half an inch wide. They're 
they're coleslaw rather than cabbage. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so they're, um, and I learned about this recently because I feel the same way about like shirts that are very stained and not, you can't just like cover it up with tie dye or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, the clothing recycling program, I don't know if you have it in your community, but I just actually drove by one of the big orange bins and it says shoes and clothing recycling. Oh. And I think what that basically means is these are beyond repair you know, like they'll probably look through everything and pull out the ones that they could resell or use or, you know, donate or something like that. But really what, I mean, we put our dirty, not dirty, (laughs) our used underwear, you know, stretched out bras and all of the different things into the clothing recycling because they shred everything and they use it to stuff like mattresses for the prisoners and um, insulation for the walls. And so I feel like I'm not putting in the landfill. It's still going to be useful. And you know, reduce, reuse, right? And I'll have to find that. Yeah. Look up clothing recycling um, is specific. Um, and I do feel like a lot of the places such as um, maybe some of the retailers that do uh, take used clothing will eventually shred things. I want to know if they're going to shred it versus put it in the landfill though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. Cause I've always, like I said, my Tyvek on when I was doing the wrap conversions, everything came in a Tyvek envelope. And so you could send a big box of Tyvek envelopes to Tyvek for recycling. And I just sent one out yesterday, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there's anything else that you want to like communicate to, you know, your community that you've been serving in the last year, where they can find you going forward? Oh, well, I think I'm probably just for liability reasons, I guess. Um, I have to shut down Sleeping Baby Productions as a company. Really? I'll, yeah, which is another mm, one of those kind of heartbreaking things. Uh, but I going forward, I'll probably be Jan Andrea Handmade. And I'm going to see if I can get janandreahandmade.com. Um, I was always very upset that I couldn't get sleepingbaby.com. <laughs> For a long time, it was squatters. And now it's the zippity zip Um I don't even know if they're still making them this baby swaddle thing that was on Shark Tank. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I should be able to get janandreahandmade.com. But I'll still, like, I'll keep up my Facebook page. Um, on Facebook, it's Sleeping Baby Productions. Uh, I think I have the same thing on Instagram. Not that I not that I post there super often because I'm old. Can you keep those, though? I think so. Even, yeah. I mean, not as necessarily as an archive, but, like, mm-hmm. just for good time's sakes, right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I would recommend snagging that domain really quickly if you can before this gets <laughs> published. <No>. Because <laughs> what I found is when I, you know, secured my website that I'm currently using, yes, I work from home. Um, as soon as I registered the domain name, someone went and like grabbed up all of the social media uh, associated with that name. Oh they, can see, they can see which domain names have been purchased and they will go and grab all those. So then you're wow. kind of stuck. Yep. So I'm April came alone on like LinkedIn and Instagram and a few other places. And it was exactly for that reason. Yeah. Wow. Little jerks. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oof. Oh, um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, ergonomics or how you've been sitting and like, what kind of <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, how have you kept yourself healthy and, and safe? I have not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my sewing setup is better than it used to be for sure. Um, I have a, a drafting chair, and the sewing machine table itself, it's an industrial table, um, is raised up so that hypothetically I'm at the best um, angle. Like you're supposed to be sitting forward slightly and um, back straight and arms 
at a like a 90 degree angle to your body, mm-hmm. which I think I am, but it's hard when you're sewing. When I was sewing eight hours a day, it was definitely painful because I would hunch my shoulders and, you know, neck strained and, and all those things. So yes, if you're, if you're doing something like that for a living, definitely work on your setup before you get too far into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my computer desk is okay. Um, I used to go for walks and I kind of stopped when COVID started. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. not been great either. <laughs> ergonomic, ergonomic specialists can help people who are in different industries, not just, um, not just sitting at a desk typing, you know, like they can come and assess you. Um, I mean, you could have, but I mean, who thinks about that sort of thing, right? Like yeah, when that's I, interesting. I did have a, a virtual assessment one recently, I think about a year ago, and I had him look at how I sit at this desk, but also how I sit at the kitchen table, because mm. I think I was hurting myself more when I was going down to the kitchen table, which was frequently because I had three kids and, you know, I had to oversee them sometimes too. But yeah, um, ergonomics, uh, but, you know, now you're closing out this chapter and looking at the next one. So keep that in mind. Um, mm. Man, this, this last year and a half, two years has been tough. And I've taken a physical toll on it too. And it's kind of like, you know, do as I say, not as I do <laughs> in a lot of, a lot of parts of my life. So, but I try to practice what I preach as much as I can, but you know, you do find yourself when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're sad, you know, you start to let things go too. So, mm-hmm. all right. Where can people find you right now? And where should people look for you in January. So right now I still have www.sleepingbaby, all one word.net. Um, and on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com slash sleeping baby productions, all one word. Uh, Instagram.com sleeping baby productions, all one word. Um, I haven't done TikTok or is that the other? <laughs> See, I'm 47, so I'm, In- I'm yeah, getting old I don't for these. <laughs> social media so I don't actually know what's what's up and coming now but I you know once I start doing other stuff maybe I'll get on TikTok we'll see when when I was um gonna book this appointment with you I was like what is her last name because you go by Jan Andrea on Facebook Mm -hmm. um can you spell your last name for us it's uh, h-e-i-r-t-z-l-e-r and I end up spelling that at least three times a day because it's not it's not a natural spelling (laughs) no that was my maiden name too I had to explain it every single time All right. Any final thoughts before we head out? Oh, if you're young and you're starting a work at home job, just be gentle with yourself. And especially if you have young kids, remember that those days are long, but the years are very short. My kids are 13, 18 and 21 now. And there are a lot of times that I wish that I had been more present for them when they were small, that I had spent less time working. And it doesn't, sound like I I didn't ever feel like that at the time like I felt like I was putting in enough and now I would really like a do-over on some of those years like they're all fantastic kids and I just wish that I'd had more time with them when they were small I was excited to hear because I asked you for a headshot and I was excited to hear that you said that you're gonna get your your eldest to take your professional headshot this weekend <laughs> yeah, he's he's another he's got a lot of interest, including photography. And uh, he did his own headshot and he's going to do his brothers for his senior picture. Um, so I think I'll get a good one from him for me, too. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. 
That should be a fun experience. And I think that, you know, overall, you were talking about how you always wanted to be a teacher and you have, you have been teaching. You just didn't teach in the same capacity that you expected. You've been teaching mothers how to safely carry their babies and, you know, teaching people about sewing and teaching kids about space and all of these things. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that is a part of your life. I had never had a window into about the whole NASA and research and websites. So sounds like you have a lot going for you. It's just, um, baby steps into the next stage, right? It is. Yeah. And, you know, I used to be very like, you got to go to college and do the things. And now my youngest is trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And I'm like, you know what? You don't necessarily have to go to college. You could have a perfectly good career in trades or other things. You can still pursue academic interests without it because I haven't done anything with my biology degree. Yeah. <laughs> it's been nice to have had it, but mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of ways to make a, a good living and to be happy doing it. Well, and even having a degree, even like you have a four-year degree, sometimes that's literally all a company wants is just for you to have had a degree, a degree. They don't care. Like there are so many companies that don't care. So that's, um, you know, there's still that door there. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, best of luck to you. Thank you so much, Jan, for today. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I I just was like thinking about you and I'm like, oh my goodness, maybe she would Maybe if I asked, she would say yes. So, so fun. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. This has been Jan Hertzler with Abram Malone. And yes, I work from home and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.